0: Hello. And in today's episode of BFM, we're talking to dashboard champion Richard Smith about what value for money means to him.
1: and welcome to the 41st episode of vfm the pensions podcast and as usual i couldn't be happier to be joined by my co-host nico aspinall and nico we were meant to be doing this in person today but the, the storms have got the better of us haven't they yes storm storm
0: kieran um so i'm delighted that you know technology works and we're able to do this uh, remotely if, if slightly surprisingly uh, and beyond the 90 mile winds uh, we have a milestone don't be down we do um, what's that podcast? 10,000 downloads ten thousand listens to the podcast it's not bad is um which is probably you and me five thousand times isn't it no uh,
1: nope. <laughs> no it's, it's it's you me and our guest richard smith who, <laughs> yes. we, who we know is an avid listener um
2: richard um welcome to the pod hi darren hi nick i was very, I was very humbled to receive the invitation so <laughs> so thanks very much if if we'd been doing this in person i actually came bearing gifts so oh. i'll have to for the listeners i'll have to show them on camera i excuse the unwrapping i made you both because i'm your 40th oh. guest a vfm Adventures oh, wow. podcast t-shirt oh, so you've fantastic. both got one of those i've left the label in but i don't know why because if it doesn't fit there's no refund so <laughs> i'll get those to you somehow oh uh, that's amazing
1: be fantastic you're very Thank you're very you. welcome that is brilliant well perhaps you can um send us a picture of them and we can put it on the linkedin post when we share the we'll podcast do, i'll do
2: that i'll do that for sure oh, So brilliant
1: yeah, that's uh, that's really nice. Uh, you know, we we would have had to strip off live on the pod and put t shirt on. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so heavens. I'm,
2: I'm <laughs> thank heavens for Storm for Storm Kieran. Then, I've, but I've actually got some I've got some worries about being here. I don't know if I can share. I, I, it was this worry about show and tell and relevance and gravitas. So dashboards, I think you've got me on to talk about, are really more of a show me than a tell me thing. I'm yep. not sure how well that's going to work on a on a, a on a podcast. And, and that's <laughs> why I went to go and literally go and look at them in Europe. And I think we're going to talk about my tour that I did. yeah And the yeah. other thing about talking about dashboards is like, you know, we need to get on and deliver them. So I'm very happy to be talking to you guys. But <laughs> I also want to get on and actually deliver them. And on the relevance, I think I've listened to you a lot. And I think you're both self-confessed fans of inertia. But actually sort of picking <laughs> picking up your phone you know, and looking at your different. pensions <laughs> is obviously not an act of inertia, is it? It requires you to do something. And I've noticed, Darren, whenever you mention dashboards, mm. Nico goes a bit quiet. And I so does, I'm, I'm not convinced that Nico actually thinks dashboards sit well in a world of inertia. So my ambition is I hope <laughs> to convince you that dashboards are actually an inert tool, or certainly way more inert than what the state has quite today. But the biggest worry I've got is Gravitas. You've had some absolute titans on 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 your 41 episodes well i think you didn't have a guest did you on episode one so i'm your 40th guest i think that's right yeah. um, a I, I'm, just a, yeah. I'm just yeah am just a <laughs> pensions admin and systems guy who got interested in in dashboards hopefully i'll have one or two interesting things to say but i must be i, I i'm feeling a massive dollop of imposter syndrome even even being here
1: <laughs> no not at all not at all and and i can tell you why you're not richard because i think you have a world renowned dashboard website www w.dashboardideas.co.uk which if you want to know anything about pensions dashboards then um you know visit visit that website i did want to quiz you on your picture that you've got on that website though Richard, <laughs> you know like you, it, it does need updating because you know um there's this scottish widows app which does a um you know what's your age and we had robert cochran on the pod of it a little while ago and yeah if you put that through the ai i think you look about 30 or something
2: <laughs> i lost some weight so in in um uh lockdown i started doing online classes you know fitness classes and mm. I, I i lost some weight but i put it all on all back on so yeah maybe i need to get that updated
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you you've had a, a, a wide and varied career in pensions and we'll we'll talk a bit about your bio um in the in the next bit of the pod but you've worked for organizations like the Pru, the aa scheme Aon. Um And you've been doing lots of work on pension dashboards as an independent consultant since um, working. With yeah, it's been an absolute
2: bit. privilege.
1: Yeah. 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 And that's where we first met, I think, with the um, ABI prototype, wasn't it?
2: 2017. Yes. I think it kicked off in 2016 with George Osborne. And then, then the ABI and, and Treasury sort of uh, led a project to deliver a prototype at Easter 2017. Yeah
1: excellent excellent so we'll, we'll talk all about that but yeah well, it's an absolute pleasure and and we're humbled to have you on the pod richard so yeah. no no imposter syndrome um is needed
0: i uh, i think i first uh kind of actually was in a room with you at the dg publishing dc summit two years ago um and uh i think dg publishing does a fantastic job and it's well worth going to that conference but as you know investment managers can be a little dry um, and uh, you you I think even had the graveyard slot of like just
1: before or just after lunch just after lunch, just after lunch. Yeah.
0: yeah and the energy and interest and uh, and knowledge of the subject that you brought was absolutely fantastic and I think we all totally independently and I'm not just saying this I think rated it as kind of the best session uh of the day because sarah you and i did a sort of match of the day digest afterwards and we were buzzing about we did uh, yeah it was it, 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 about session, the yeah. the
1: energy when you talk about pensions dashboard richards richard um is just um absolutely incredible
2: yeah. i think i think when they happen not if but when they happen there will be some tears but i think we probably all you know very have to do this part as i said but we need to like talk less and do more we now yeah. need to move mm-hmm. into getting it. and we'll come on to that no doubt as we come onto the yeah. the topic
0: and Darren, <laughs> when, when you said, I thought you were about to say, you're in good company. We've had some absolute dross on this podcast. That's <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> but you did. No.
1: They're, 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 the yeah. specials, they're, they're the specials, Nico. They're the specials. Yeah. 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 That's, that's just when we, you were chatting. Yeah. Anyway,
0: uh, so, order, say, so, so you were amongst the elite of the defined contribution uh, uh, industry now. You've joined us. You've joined us. You're, you're very
1: welcome. Thank yeah. you. So, let's let's get back on track yeah. uh, richard what have you got for us uh
2: so back in the um 1980s i used to love the smiths i know you're a music fan uh darren so hatful hollow you know really was the soundtrack to my sixth form and even though i think i think morris has said some pretty inappropriate things in recent times i agree with the chorus of his 2017 song spent the day in bed Do you know it he he sings i recommend that you stop watching the news because the news contrives to frighten you, to make you feel small and alone, to make you feel your mind isn't your own. So personally, I try not to look at too much news, but that's not to say I disagree with following current affairs, but I just think we need to, to slow down. So Darren, I think you were at the PLSA annual conference, weren't you, the week before last. Yep. I don't know if you stayed right to the closing session. It was a keynote from the Radio Four Today program presenter Amol Rajan. In fact, he was presenting um, Today program this morning from live from Bletchley Park, where this mm. is AI conference going on. What a wonderful, humble man. But he, his assertion, um, speaking there at the PLSA conference, is that we do need to slow down. He said we're facing these range of complex challenges, you know, societal global issues, and yet we live in a media storm of, you know, rapid sound bites. And I thought what I really loved him saying is the truth is is complex and it's hard to get to, therefore it's expensive, um, and it takes time. And when you get there, it's often quite dull. But by <laughs> contrast, lies or let's call them I don't know, you might say uh, unsubstantiated truths, fake news, e- the, the news, it's easy, they're- quick, cheap, and fun. Mm. You know, so, but I honestly think, you know, a lot of the challenges we're facing, not just in pensions and retirement, but you know, everything like, I mean, you've touched on them in some of the, some of the previous podcasts, haven't you? Glo- global relations, mm. you know, climate, he- housing, education, health, energy security, food security, water security. Why is no one talking about water security? Yeah. Literally everything, all these co- topics are complex and nuanced and deep. And yet we have this sort of new news and social media uh model that relies on immediate clickbait attention grabbing ridiculously shallow headlines um i think you were talking about this last week with with will weren't you about this wrong-footed attempt by the media to try and boil these really complex topics down into binary arguments i loved it when you had louise Farandon, who was really arguing for serious slow deep journalism you know, on, on on the big issues. But I think, and this is something uh, Emil said as well at PLSA, we're gonna need a new model for that where people realize they've got to pay for proper journalism, you know, it's, it, it ain't gonna be free Yep. So th- so that's my rant, but I don't know whether you were going to let me get away with new- no news items. So so <laughs> the, the, the very the very topical thing. Um, well, hang on.
0: I, I I thought your news there was going to be that the news uh, needs to be. You know, we need a new format, right? Um, but. Uh... <laughs> Um So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, by all means, give us give us something that, you know, under, undermines that previous hypothesis.
2: <laughs> so, I suppose I could argue this is slow. And just to prove I am a one trick pony. Uh, so so <laughs> yesterday we're recording on the second of Thursday, the second of November. And yesterday, first yeah. of November, we had the Pensions Dashboards program from the Money and Pension Service led by Chris Curry um, publishing a, an update. And they did a webinar as well. And it's, they do an update every six months. And mm. this is their eighth six uh monthly report um that, that they did to talk about how the program's getting on so i can say a little bit about what just some headlines of what they said if that would be really helpful i think Which, that'd be amazing
1: it's, it's almost like we plan this richard <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> one thing one thing on dashboards and updates i think the core thing that would be really helpful is if everybody stopped talking about the pensions dashboard that isn't really a, a concept so that the, the concept and I'm going to, for the, uh, I have to explain to your users. I'm going to do a hand gesture. I'm thinking of an hourglass. So, mm. so think of the shape. Forget the sand. It's empty of sand, but it's wide at the top, and then it's narrow at the middle, and then it's wide at the bottom, and and that's really what government is bringing forward. Think of that shape. So at the top. You've got dashboards. Okay. It's not the dashboard, it's dashboards. And and a lot of pension trustees still don't know. I always talk to some trustees at the PLSA conference saying, you know, that, um, you know, your deferred members' DB pensions are going to appear on the Lloyds Bank dashboard, don't you, on the banking app? No, I didn't right. know about yeah. that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, OK, right. So there's going to be multiple dashboards. Clearly, there's going to be a money helper one from the government. That's the consumer brand for the money and pension service. Now, there wasn't really an update on that uh, uh, yesterday. But uh, then there are all the other dashboards, so the commercial dashboards, and they are the FCA-regulated dashboards. Yeah. And I've got something to say maybe later about um, why I think it's so good that commercial dashboards are going to be FCA-regulated. And, and just in... in 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 brackets there um i think you may know i've been supporting moneyhub which is an open banking fintech and just announced last month now i think it's really helpful standard life as as you know the brand of phoenix group have said they plan to do a commercial dashboard and the way they're going to do it is they're going to white label moneyhub's technology so we've had one for sure announcing they definitely plan and i would say having been around this that expect others to announce yeah but for them to um become FCA regulated dashboards, FCA need to publish their final rules and the regulatory framework. So FCA have consulted on that. They consulted in December 22, actually, so 11 months ago, but we haven't had their final policy statement, the final rules. So we're waiting that probably in the first half of next year. Um, And uh, again, there wasn't really an update coming out on on, on that bit yesterday. Um, Then we come down to the narrow bit of the hourglass. So that is Chris Curry's bit. That's the the central technology architecture into which all dashboards must connect. So that's things like the central identity service and the central consent service to say, are you definitely Richard and do you consent for a search for your pensions to go on? And of course, it's that central finder service. That's the Mm. bit that maps or PDP have contracted Cap Gemini to do. So we again we didn't really have much of an update on on, on that except to say there's there's the replan underway for for Cap Gemini to con, to connect all the dashboards and and all the data providers. And that's really the bottom of the hourglass and that's really the data providers. So there that's really where a lot of the work has has been done. So that's really the update that we we did have dates in legislation for every different pension scheme and provided that they had to make their data digitally searchable and be connected but as part of the reset i think you've talked about on this on this uh, podcast before those dates were taken out of legislation and they're going to be re-announced as slightly later dates but in guidance yeah and so the the update yesterday was that those dates are going to be socialized with industry trade bodies over this autumn. Um, and it's uh, it's this month because I'm I'm involved with a number of those bodies and we can come to talk about that. So those dates going to be socialised to test, you know, the the feasibility of those dates, and then we'll probably see those being announced uh, quite early next year.
1: So and is, and are they in guidance to give um more flexibility in terms of the programme? Is that the yes. is that the I thing? I think here?
2: that's exact that's exactly right. Although I think there's a bit of a tension there because um obviously government wants trustees and pension providers to to adhere to that guidance, even though it might not be legislatively a legislative mandate on them so there isn't really flexibility so it's sort of you know you can't say in one breath that there's flexibility and there isn't flexibility but i think all parties agree that getting the big schemes and providers both dc and db connected soon will enable the all-important user testing to get going at scale um so and i think you know a lot of the big providers were ready to connect this August. So you might remember the original staging timeline was for the big master trusts and big FCA regulator providers to connect um, this August. In fact, the big DB schemes, the really big ones, had to connect from this month, November. So they were pretty far advanced in getting ready. So I think to be honest, they don't really want to stand down those project teams. They want to mm. get on and get connected. So I think we will see the, the 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 big schemes looking to get connected as soon as their their guidance dates say to do so in in 24 or into 25.
0: And, and why why was it slowed? Um, was it sort of feedback from the industry or other priorities so it just i mean it's sort of it I, I i'm not being posted which is part of the reason why i go quiet we can maybe come to the uh <laughs> to the inertia point later but but so so i'm always just uh, all ears for the only time when darren's speaking i'm, I'm, I'm learning things
2: <laughs>
1: so Thanks, i you. think
2: yeah. in terms of the core i think think of the middle i'll keep coming back to the hourglass and and doing my hand jessica it's really important so if you think about the middle thin bit of the hourglass which is the government's central components They were all working. So you, you, you may be aware, so, so Money Hub with its nascent alpha dashboard connected in the summer of 2022 and a number of data providers. And we have this other acronym, ISP, integrated service providers. So a number of the pension system providers have, have developed this, this connectivity technology service. So a number of those connected to the alpha service. So the end to end ecosystem from dashboard provider through digital architecture through to data provider was working from, from the summer. But I think part of the challenge was to then ramp that up at scale, to then yeah. then make that a beta service that then all of the pensions industry could connect to in terms of its in terms of the fat bit of the hourglass at the bottom, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So it is about having some more time to enable that to be in place and robust, so that that, that data providers could connect with confidence. Excellent.
1: Indeed, yeah, and um, it's a, it's a complicated project. Yeah. yeah. And there's obviously always tension between, you know, politicians wanting to launch something, you know, driven by a this is the date. We have to sort of hit that date. And um, I always got the impression that there wasn't a lot of room for error. So, yeah. you know, if everything went absolutely swimmingly, the programme could just about deliver. Um, but obviously, you know, that's quite an assumption to actually make. Um, I just want to sort of pick up on the guidance point. Yes. Because I, I was reading the your the update um, that you referred to as, as part of the news item and, you know, it's quite strong in terms of what it says about the guidance. Yeah. So even though these connection dates aren't set out in legislation, you know, it, it talks about providers and schemes must have regard to the guidance. Um, or they may face action to regu- from regulators. Providers and schemes are expected to demonstrate they have taken the guidance into account when making decisions and provide a record of this. So even though they've moved it from a, a legislative requirement into guidance, yep. yeah, I think there's some interesting signals within the PDP update that actually, you know, this is this is this is guidance plus, you know. Um,
2: and I, I think as I've said, I don't think there's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the same with every policy change that comes along, think automatic enrollment. I think the big ones won't have a problem. as I said they were they were ready already, so they'll be wanting to connect. but as ever, it's this long tail of smaller schemes yeah if if that if that makes sense. Yeah. I think one thing I would just sort of just play in here and something that doesn't really even get a lot of conversation um I'll I'll come back to the program update on this. Think about the hourglass, because I get asked all the time, Richard, when are we gonna see dashboards? Mm. And, And this comes slightly to the continental trip I did. Just think about the breadth of the bottom and the top of the hourglass. You could launch with one dashboard at the top, and with just three data providers, you could launch, I don't know, I'll make them up, say Nest, Aviva, and Scottish Widows. You could launch like that, but yeah. it would be very disappointing for users who use the Money Helper dashboard because of obviously most of their pensions wouldn't be found. So mm. you'll remember, Darren, when we did the prototype back in 2017, we did some user research to say, just what level of coverage do you think? How fat do you need that bottom of the hourglass to be? And do you need it to be universal to launch? Mm. And the answer is no. Consumers, their expectations can be managed to say, Mm. well, come and have a look. Most of your pensions are connected. So, you know, you get most pensions connected from those big ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, So then I come to the point, well, then how many access points do you want just one dashboard? or do you want multi dashboards and something we will come to when I talk about my continental trip is commercial dashboards are used way 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 more often than the central government service because it's on apps that people already know and trust yeah so the answer to the question when is really a function of how how broad you want the access points and how much coverage you want at, at the bottom and this comes to the guidance point Darren which is I think the first ones will be ready to connect the big ones, the big master trust, the big regulated, FCA regulated providers and the big DB schemes. They will get the thing working in terms of connectivity of their data and in terms of testing on the front end dashboard or dashboards. Right. Then we can ramp up the requirement for the long tail of, 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 of smaller schemes. Yeah. Um, and we we had a we had a real debate about this because um, one thing I'll come on to is I was lucky enough to lead on the pensions dashboard Program, the team that developed the data standards for for dashboards. and we had this big debate about breadth versus depth. you know do you do you launch with everything at a very shallow data set or could you launch with 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 partial coverage? So I think we might see uh, an adapted regulatory approach stance on that guidance once we've got the first big ones connected and we've right. got the ecosystem working.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. Very interesting, and um, yeah, as we say, it's a it's a huge project, it's and huge. there's lots yeah. of yeah. Um, complex moving parts. <laughs> and you know, I, I I'm a dashboard fan. Yeah, I, I've been talking about dashboards not as long as you, Richard, and not you, you know, even Richard. in a world
2: of inertia, Darren.
1: <laughs> even in no, I, I, I think there's um yeah I, I I because it's people need to know what they've got and they need yes. to, to to be able to find it and there's there's too many barriers to people just getting basic information about their pension yeah um i remember years ago when i was a part of the napf scheme yeah and that was uh a, a, i was part of the single employer trust and i just was trying to get some really basic information about the scheme and the, the the hoops that i had to jump through to get that information yeah it was just like a lot of people would have just given up yeah. And I think that one of the things that the dashboard will do um, is it's not about day to day engagement or anything like that. We know inertia is incredibly powerful. Personally, yep. I don't want people making um, you know a high frequency of in- investment decisions. You know, yep. um, but if there are there are ways that people need to engage with and manage their pension. Yeah. And the dashboard will remove um, lots of barriers to that actually happening. And I think that's got to be the key thing, as well as putting in people in touch with lost pensions. And I think that's going to be the really key thing about the dashboard.
2: Yeah. Spot on. I yeah. knew there was a risk in making my news item dashboards because this could become this could become the whole thing. But just to pick up on that, I, I know you've had Vincent Franklin on, and he was very excited saying simpler annual benefit statement. And and just I'm just showing for the listeners, I'm just showing Darren and Nicol on the camera here. I got my first simpler annual benefit statement format from my Scottish widow's pension this oh, week in the man. post. So. Yeah, yeah, there it is. But you know. Even that isn't, I, as it happens, I got seven pages, as well as the two page,
1: statement.
2: <laughs> so, you know, um, but I've got four DC pensions. I've got pensions with Aon Master Trust, Scottish Widows, Aviva and Nest, okay? So mm. what I'm actually being asked to do is maintain my posted address with four providers, yes. open four envelopes, look at four pieces of paper or rather four times seven pieces of paper and work out. whereas what I want to do is something even more inert and. I just desperate to show and tell. This is the Money Hub dashboard I'm showing you here. There I can see my five pensions, state pensions plus my four DC on my phone. Yeah. 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 So that's that power, is an inert version of yeah. looking at our pensions.
1: But 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 also I think that you you mentioned this earlier. Um, not and, and from your continental trip yes. as well. That, actually putting the information where people are already going regularly yes. for information as well will be so powerful for this
2: I've got a stat on that that will blow your mind later Darren
1: okay right let's stop dashboards we'll yep. come back to dashboards yeah, of yeah, course we're gonna Nico, <laughs> right we're going to have to do this quite quickly now what news have you got for us
0: um well so I'm trying to speak slowly now just to annoy you so um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I picked up on the story. So I, I wanted to break one of our taboos um, and talk about uh, the other kind of pension, collective defined contribution pensions. Um, so obviously we've 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 sort of uh, uh, touch on CBC from time to time in this podcast and, and slap ourselves on the on the wrist as a result. Um, so um, there has been a story. So it's Hyman's Robertson report. Um uh looking at, I guess, the sort of fairness of CDC. Um, and you know, anytime you share risk uh as an individual, um, then you know, you you share outcomes uh where you may benefit or you may be harmed. There will be winners and losers. Yeah. Um and so they've looked at um particularly the kind of winners and losers from an earnings perspective. Um, and their eye-catching uh, uh, headline, or the way the pensions experts uh, kind of reported it, low earners in CDC pensions could subsidise the retirement incomes of wealthier members by up to 30%. Wow. So, um, essentially, if you are poorer, then you have worse um, health outcomes, and uh, you're likely not to live as long. If you do not take that into account, uh, in the way that you calculate uh, the benefit outcome from your contributions, then essentially you are creating a, a cross subsidy from those who are going to live less time to those who are going to live longer, and this is very very directly correlated with with earnings. Yep. Um, so, I was trying to conceptualise what that thirty percent meant. Um, I think it would be something like if you had ten uh people who put in uh 10,000 pounds then they would each get 7,000 pounds of value and someone who put in 100,000 pounds would get hundred and thirty thousand pounds of value mm. um, but they do say as much as so of course i'm sure there will be uh statistical uh descriptions there which by the way means that um uh you know probably the average would be would be lower um this does mean that if you have a scheme where you have say ten to one ratios of uh, higher earners of lower earners to to uh, wealthier earners, like many companies, mm. that you will be creating those cross subsidies, as exactly if you bought um, if you if you had a defined benefit scheme, yep. um, as exactly if they bought annuities in those sorts of ratios into the Annuity Company. So um, yeah, I, I I sort of feel this in the modern age um where we have quite an individualistic view and um oh i should say value for money right Uh, this is maybe the first time we mentioned it on the podcast but i think the hypothesis of the value for money consultation and the value for money framework is in some way an individual what do i get out compared to what i
1: put in type assessment and a lot of our guests have sort of used that as the key metric
0: yeah it is not how do i contribute to the collective good Um, And are there public goods and commons um, that uh, I might argue are sort of higher moral principles than that? So I don't argue about the value for money of my taxation. Um, I like that there are police on the streets um, uh, and that there's education for children that I don't have and that there are people cleaning parks that I don't visit. Um, I like those things. Um, I like having insurance for a house that is, you know, touch wood, not,
1: not burnt down, certainly not yet. Um, Although those you, are, are all, you were telling us before that it's flooded a bit, hasn't it?
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, um, I'm not sure I can claim on that, um, but uh, <laughs> we shall see. Um, so, you know, there is a very different mentality to risk sharing um, to versus the value for money framework that we have, and I think mm. the 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 framing that Hyman's have put into this is to say that a low earner could get 30% less value for money. Uh, from a CDC than a high earner, um, and that should be quite concerning if it's not addressed. And and indeed, their call here is to think a bit more deeply about that.
1: And we know that Labour are quite big fans of CDC, mm. um, and they've argued for alternative approaches in the past. Um, uh, do 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 you think that people really understand what's going on here in terms of some of the cross subsidies and you know? how the design features of the scheme can almost pick winners and losers?
0: Well, um, maybe I've got a yes answer and a no answer. So I think the yes answer is that nobody's setting them up. Yeah. um, And they're voting with their feet. Um, And the no answer is that I think, so fundamentally what CDC offers is a uh, regulatory arbitrage and capital reserving. So the cross subsidy that we're really talking about is uncertainty. Um, and that doesn't seem to be loud and clear. I was very concerned when Adrian described the uh, best estimate uh, reserving um, in in the CDC mentality and said, that's a good thing. To me, that's, as an actuary, and I know he is as well, but that's, that's something that I need to grapple with because I think, you know, when you say to someone, you will you're, you could get this they don't expect that to be a coin toss. They they don't expect that to be a 50-50 gamble, particularly, I mean, what we're really talking about is whether it can keep pace with inflation, that's that's actually what it comes down down to. Um, But if you go through a period of high inflation and, um, you know, that was a surprise for the last (laughs) goodness how many years, but now it's a very real policy uh, kind of concern that if your scheme payments are not keeping up with inflation, then you you know at the end of five years of five six seven eight nine ten percent you could be substantially worse off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I I I suspect that people haven't thought about that element of it in particular. Um, but to the extent that they're not setting them up, and you know that's maybe more about kind of policy and regulatory risk, which is if you go through that period, the government just forces the employers to riches their pockets anyway.
1: But that's that's um, the key risk.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it is complex. Um, we, uh, uh, we don't have time on this podcast to get <laughs> beyond the simple messages. Uh, there are uh, not to be sort of two uh, other but there are rights and wrongs on both sides. Mm. Um, but the question is, how do you get that nuance into the decision maker's hands? Um, when essentially the information asymmetries between the employer the their actuaries and their advisors and the members are so huge. Um, and for me, you know, if this was Dragon's Den, it's for that reason that I'm at. Um, and, um, you know, I've always, I've always, uh, just one last thing on CDC, I, I didn't need to go too much on the CDC rant, but um, I've always felt that policy should be better devoted to dealing and improving with the system that we have than hypothesising a brand new, even more complex system. Um, and um, uh, maybe I can segue to inertia because I, I think it's really worth talking about. Um, DC is not is not is not saying that inertia is the only way to deliver good outcomes. It's saying that uh, a lot of engagement in complex issues uh, can be self-harming, yeah. uh, And and therefore you should ensure that you get good outcomes despite the lack of engagement. Yeah. That that for me is the fundamental plank of inertia. Um, you can't, by averaging all of those circumstances and, uh, you know, putting inverse commas around the word good, you will harm people. There will be winners and losers. So you have to enable them to engage, but you have to, you have to engage with them in ways that actually are meaningful uh, for them um, and give them real choices, which have real impacts. Um, And uh, a lot of our industry, unfortunately, because it has sort of such retail investment DNA, Likes to pretend that the exciting, shiny thing of stock picking and active management and uh, asset allocation and all of these sorts of things are the most important things you can be talking about, um, when really we should be talking about contributions, uh, age of retirement, and type of retirement. Yep. Um, and uh, those are really, really um, kind of unfortunately quite low down on our priority list of engagement. Um, and hopefully the dashboard can can help to facilitate some of those sort of sorts of conversations.
1: So I'm gonna pick up on my news item and segue from that because um, I was interested in um, some work from Pensions Insurance Corporation, PIC, um, that was reported in professional pensions and um, calling for you know, defined contribution pensions to be rebranded or renamed, um, saying that the current name falls short of meeting the expected definition of a pension. And I think it ran um, some focus groups with uh, 500 of its staff Uh, produced a a comprehensive report, which found several employees felt unhappiness and disappointment with how their DC pensions cannot provide certainty in retirement. So I thought this was quite interesting because, you know, um, it's related to people's connection and ownership with their pension. It's related to the language that we use. And you know, a, a question for Richard on this: like, you know, should it be called a pensions dashboard? You know, um, it's, uh, you know, I, I mean, and we haven't, I haven't set you up on this one, but you know, are we are we totally fixated about pensions? And you know, could that put people off?
2: So, uh, not wishing to out nerd you down, but I would actually read the PIC engagement report before I knew you were going to raise it as a news item. So, ah. I think what's really interesting when you when you read it. What they found is that half of the, the the staff members they spoke to, when they heard the word pension, they they asked, "What what does that word mean to you?" And half yep. said, "We think of it as a recurring income when we are older." You know, so yep. the word state pension, the word pension next to state, that is an, an income. Well, it's, it's a benefit, isn't it? But it's a, it's an income you receive. I think it's every four weeks, isn't it? Because it used yeah. to be paid weekly, and it's sort of it's a, so you get it thirteen times a year, but let's call it monthly. Um, but the other half of people said, no, 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 it's 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 a fund it's a fund of money that you build up during your working life. So even that the word at the moment. But I think what PIC are really trying to get to is, is the contributions word that Nico just mentioned, which is mm. like there is a huge lack of understanding that 8% isn't enough if unless you're a very, very low, low earner. So, yeah. so what I think PIC are trying to say is if we use the word pension which a lot of people think is an income they think well i just have to put in and i'm going to get an adequate adequate income and and in fact why would why would the government and my employer why would they put in an amount of money which they knew wasn't enough
0: mm.
2: why would yep. they even do that of course i'm going to trust the government and my employer together there's a double trust premium there of course i'm going to trust them to to, to put in enough so I think the, the, the real uh, thing, but the message I got from that PIC report was this opening up the huge risk that a lot of people are at in terms of um, uh, complacency. And this comes to the DWP research from, from January this year, doesn't it say most people are detached or complacent or afraid when it comes yep. to, their, to, their, to their pensions. We had this debate about what is a pension as well. When we did the data standards for dashboard, we had a huge industry debate about it, about what do you lead with? Do you lead with the income you might get, which, as I've said, a lot of lot of ordinary consumers, not pensions, folk, but ordinary consumers can relate to the income I might get, because yeah. they can relate it to what they spend today. little plug for Money Hub. If you use an open banking enabled dashboard, you can link to your account account and actually relate it exactly to what you spend today. Mm-hmm. And if you link your mortgage, you can say, but we can see that the term of that is 2062, but your retirement age is 2067. Uh, t- retirement age 20- So we are assuming you won't have housing costs. So if you can link today's money with future potential income in the future, income is the way to go. But lots of pensions folk came and said, no, 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 no. You want to show pot. You want to lead with pot because everybody Mm. needs to understand that pot is the thing. So then my question on that is, are we realistically expecting to educate the populace of Britain? Um, in in what a DC build up is and what and how that builds up and inv- investment performance and charges and enough contributions etc. And I've got a clue in some of the findings from Continental Europe, which I'll mention mention shortly in terms of what do what do the other dashboards in Europe lead on.
1: Yeah. So, but you didn't answer my question. <laughs> so you you totally geeked me, which is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, you know, like, should it still be called a pensions dashboard?
2: Um, well, it shouldn't be called a dashboard. It should be called a tracking system because, as you said, Darren, the main thing it's doing is finding what you've got. Mm. Um, the way we've currently say we well, I was on when I was on the program. The current way we've currently articulated the data standards is that you do lead with income. Mm. Most consumers, I'm not going to say all, but most consumers relate the word pension to an income. income yeah. So, on that logic, yes, uh, a pension tracking system would be the would be the right name. Mm. Um, But there's a lot of debate to be had about how much you can interest people in getting under the bonnet to say, well, actually, there's a fund of money here that builds up over time and you can influence that. And by the way, you probably haven't got enough going in. Mm. Can I tell you another little story? There's, you know, in Australia, the superannuation minimum is going up. It's nudging at half a percent every July, isn't it? I think it it's is, going yeah. to 11 and a half next July. And then it gets to 12% in July 25. There's huge consumer support for that. Why? Because on the Australian tax office, the ATO dashboard for years, people have been seeing their inadequate incomes. Mm. So if you show people that the minimum isn't enough, that will give support for the nudge to be stronger, i.e. the minimum to be a higher contribution. So so with my PLSA hat on, because I'm also the PLSA's dashboard consultant, I think it's totally coherent to do both dashboards and argue for a greater minimum contribution for pensions adequacy, because through dashboards you get consumer support for government to increase the minimum contributions, because you're demonstrating on a person-by-person basis the inadequacy of, of people's pensions i see it as you know db schemes had these big deficits you know at a scheme level we had a deficit we didn't have enough money to pay the pensions i think what dc does it just digs disaggregates that to an individual personal deficit doesn't it across your it retirement provision across your whole across your whole life so one of the big things for me on dashboards is yes call it a pensions dashboard it's about your retirement income show people that's inadequate and then that is a support to growing adequacy across the whole of the nudge system, which is the minimum contribution through AE.
1: Yeah, creating a virtuous circle.
0: Yes. Um, so I, I just want to, I know we need to move on there, but I, I just wanted to talk to, so almost what I said about defined contribution. And so so I really worry, uh, I was trying to take the word away, pensions away from the DC system, because we're bad at delivering pensions. Um, you know, that to me seems like the opposite action. Um, and rather than trying to investigate how we could be better maybe at uh, delivering pensions, um, you know, if an employer with pensions in the title uh, says, oh, you know, maybe this is an action that we could take and, and kind of promote to the market, you know that really really worries me mm. Um the rebranding away from pensions suggests it's not what we're here to do and that's there's no deficit in our contributions That's just what we're getting um and so yeah i don't i don't like the creep of language um in that way um and uh they should they should try and deliver pensions for people and we as society should be really worried that we're going to have a whole bunch of people in their 60s 70s 80s you make it up with with only the state pension um and and as richard says i mean like actually mortgages um yep yeah so yeah uh that was my reaction i think we need to do more to deliver pensions
1: not dilute yeah. the promise yeah. and that's through inertia but also improving the general system as well well it's the links-
0: three most important things in pensions contributions contributions, contributions, contributions and
1: contributions, contributions and, yeah. and um, everything else is order too. Um. Yep. So we've talked a lot about the dashboard already Richard um, but you know how did you get into you know how did how did your love of the dashboard develop you know tell us a bit about how you got into pensions and and dashboards.
2: Do you know in um, central London there's a very famous red terracotta building called Hoban Bars. It's on Hoban, um, designed by the famous Victorian architect Alfred Waterhouse. First opened in 1879 as the headquarters of the Prudential Assurance Company. Um, Wonderful, wonderful building. Um, Roll on 100 years to the late 1970s or or early 1980s, and it needed a wholesale refit because of the modern technology that was coming on stream then. Um, And that was part of the rationale for the Prue to move out of central London and relocate in Reading. Right. No. Um, but many Prue folk were commuting into Central London from places like Essex, and they didn't really want to move west of London to 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 Berkshire. So the Prue found itself having to recruit a whole lot of uh, new people. So many many school leavers in the Reading area, like me, because I'm, I'm based in Reading, in the 1980s and into the 1990s, joined the Prue. So I was in pension systems and pension admin and and I was in teams run by first by Paul Moss and then Stuart Waite and then and then Paula Gibbons and it was a real family community I think at the peak around 1990 ish I believe there were about 7,000 people employed by the PRU in Reading. If well, you've got means. friends or family in Reading, if you'd say to anybody, oh, I used to work at the PRU, oh, do you know? You know, it's a real bit like Norwich Union, Norwich, you know, mm. so it was, a, it was a it was a real community village. Um, of course, it's much less than that now. There's been a lot about outsourcing and offshoring, you know, of, of resources over the years. But back then, the PRU in Reading was a real springboard for many, many um, pensions careers. I left there after about seven years, and I moved in-house to help run the AA pension scheme. I don't know anything about cars, but I knew about helping <laughs> to run pensions in, in in Basingstoke. But very soon after, interesting story, the AA was purchased by Centrica, which is the British Gas uh, Holding Group, um, and their strategy was to outsource everything unless it's core business. So the AA pensions team was outsourced. So I was stupid, if you know, I mean, so mm. transfer of undertaking, protection of employment to Aon in Farnborough. I don't i don't know whether either of you have ever been stupid it's nope, no it's no, it's, no. it's it's a really interesting thing because your job moves and you end up working for an employer that you didn't apply to work for and mm. they didn't recruit you directly it's just they they got you as a part of a commodity resource, right. so it's a really interesting experience. So I did a couple of years there, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do particularly. But the main thing I did was uh, then move to um, Price Waterhouse Coopers or, or or PWC, um, and I was in in Pete sparshot and Ellen Keller's specialist consulting team, helping major clients because I was from an admin and systems background. So helping major clients with admin and systems change, and I was there for eleven years, and that was that that was really great i've got a little rabbit hole thing i was going to talk about. I to. so <laughs> i know on. you've mentioned quaker families before and quaker uh-huh. businesses nico you know and I, so you know i mentioned that architect of the prue building alfred yep. waterhouse and of course it was his brother Edwin Waterhouse, who created an accounting business, who went into business in 1865 with Samuel Price to form Price Waterhouse, wow. who eventually merged with the Cooper brothers and William Lybrand, Coopers and Lybrand in 98, to form Price Waterhouse Cooper. So two brothers. And there's even a third one, there's Theodore uh, Waterhouse, who formed a loyal, legal firm with Field Fisher Waterhouse, is now a top city legal firm. Wow. There, was, there were some sisters as well, but of course you never hear about those because it was the 19th, 19th century. But I love that story there were a big quaker family from liverpool but mm. then they moved to tottenham um, and you know i've heard i've seen those these families the businesses the long-term businesses they set up described as sort of natural capitalists you know people taking a long-term yeah, yeah. view and i think in banking there was lloyd's and barclays and in confectionery mm-hmm. and businesses there was cadbury's and Bourneville Cadbury, and, yeah. and fries well. in bristol and roundtree in york and in my part of the world huntley and palmer's in reading yeah and then and then clark's shoes in somerset and mm-hmm. i think part of that long term view was looking after your staff and your community and i think part of that was life assurance and i just love the way it comes full circle in the, the quaker friends from that grew friends provident that became mm-hmm. friends life that became part of our biggest insurer aviva so there's a there's a there's a real story there and i think that just tells the story of the long term nature of what what we're in, in 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 pensions yeah
0: yeah we've got this very different dna don't we and, um uh that is being eroded i think um, and i think you know obviously as 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 uh, someone who works in the investment firm we see you know we're trying to get companies to think about climate change yeah and and um you know they just sort of a lot of them think it's not really on their watch it's like but, but don't you think that other people might be running this firm in the 2030s? In the 2050s? don't you hope that this firm exists mm. over that sort of period? And there's something around selfishness and uh, how executive pay is linked to shareholder value um, and you know quarterly results and uh, you know micro high-frequency trading and all sorts of things, um, which have sort of diluted those those values. And we, we live in faster times. Um, you yeah. know, information is more instantaneous. Um, but, but that sort of long-termism is, is, is quite lost. I think, um, maybe Patreon it links back the last back to the, last slow, of it.
2: Mm. it links back to the slowing down the news point I was making earlier. We need mm. to look at long-term trends rather than the, yeah. the, rather than the event. Can I pull out two sort of, a, sort of learnings or stories from that, what I did and that answer the question, then how yeah. did I get into to dashboard? So the first story is about Nest. So when I was at PwC, I was seconded from DWP and then to the Personal Accounts Delivery Authority, Pada, for for three years from 2007 to 2010, and I went a bit native, really. I became more (laughs) like a civil servant than a a PwC consultant. So originally, I was sent up to Newcastle um, as part of a four-person PwC team to help with programme management of the implementation of the auto enrollment policy, and I was lucky enough to draw up the, the first ever timeline for the rollout of implementation from, from 2012, you know, at national level. It was really utter privilege. It was a wonderful experience. Anyway, after that, um, Helen Dean, now obviously chief executive of NEST, but at the time head of auto-enrolment policy at DWP, she asked me to stay on and help create the NEST scheme rules well it, or, or it's it's not just the rules it's actually it's it's constituted through an order which yeah, is a, a statutory instrument um, and it's a bit like a, a trust deed except of course nest is created through a statute rather than trust deed so so we got together the sort of a team of private sector pensions people and then we were working alongside DWP career civil servants, uh, very different types of characters. And we were working together in the, Delphi, uh, the Adelphi, as Adelphi. it was, you know, on, yeah. the, on the embankment in London. It was utter, utter privilege to do that. But when there were the two lessons for me on that: is one, the power of private and public sector folk working together, so pooling our skills. In terms of you know working with ministers, but also getting stuff done and mm. humbly respecting the skills that we both brought to the party in order to, to deliver. And that was that was a key thing. And the other lesson for me was cross-party consensus. Mm. Yeah. Um the joint team were really lovely. So the the joint team of 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 private sector pensions folk and and, and civil servants, when we finished it, they they got hold of a hard copy of the nest order and i've got another show and tell here i'll show it down <laughs> Nico on the camera uh, here i'm showing i'm holding uh-huh. up a picture frame this is the statutory instrument it, i'll read it it's the national employment savings trust order 2010 and the team they got it signed i will reading out this it says dear richard thank you for your invaluable contribution to designing and building the trust order and rules best wishes Angela. Now, that is Angela Uh, Eagle, Eagle, the the Labour Pensions Minister. It's dated the 22nd of March, 2010. Six weeks later, they lost to the Tories and Lib Dems. And then, of course, Steve Webb took all the credit for rolling out automatic (laughs) enrolment and then the Tory government with Guy Opperman from from 2015. But of course, nest and auto enrolment was a Labour policy. And that just shows to me that the best policy is policy that has got strong cross-party consensus, which, of course, was all the good work that the Pensions Commission did. And I know, Darren, yeah. you often talk about this right back to 2002 to 2004 in getting really good consensus across the policy. That that Labour did all the hard yards and created the policy, created NEST, and then it was rolled out over the 2010s under a coalition and then a, then a Tory government. So I think those, are, for me, collaboration between public and private and cross-party consensus is really too messy. I still haven't told you how I got into dashboards. So the <laughs> other the other story is is much more um, personal to me. So just scroll back to the 1990s. Um, I met the lovely uh, Heather Woods at the Peru. Lovely, lovely lady. Uh, she was uh, like funny and clever and gorgeous. I got I got lucky, basically, really lucky. Um, so we married uh, in the 90s, and then we had three children, Catherine, Flisty and Adam, all around the turn of the millennium, which nice. was just great, fantastic. But when Adam was just one, and Heather was 36, um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, she did really well. She had chemo for 10 years, and I say to everybody, thank you, Darren, thank you, Nick, and thank you to all your listeners for paying your taxes. Yes. You know, because those chemo drugs aren't cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. So huge thanks. And I sometimes think how blessed we are you know, to have the NHS, you know, that was that was phenomenal. But chemo doesn't work indefinitely. And the cancer eventually spread to her liver and then her her, her bones. And then she deteriorated quite quickly from the end of 2013, and died in June, June 2014. So nearly nine and a half years ago now, when the kids mm-hmm. were 15 and 14 and 11. And guys, I've, I've, found listening back to your podcast the one where some of your guests have spoken about personal stories have been some of the most personal so going right back to episode one david yeah. butcher he talked yeah. about losing his wife and i think jenny seagal shared her own personal cancer story and i think just recently simon crystal talked about a customer of his who bereaved had lost his wife yeah. and, and when you sort of think about bereavement and you read about it and i've read an awful lot of bereavement blogs probably way too many over the last nine years what comes out as a response is a sort of looking or longing for a sense of purpose in whatever wow. time i've got left what can i do that matters because life is uncertain it's finite it's going to end and when you truly truly get that it's finite the only response um is it morgan freeman in Shawshank redemption is you know get busy living and, and for me that's okay. you know to, to find a purpose so for me my purpose has become dashboards and the very odd peculiar link here is that the day of heather's funeral the 18th of july 2014 was also the date in the Financial Times of the first ever media report of the idea of pensions dashboards. Okay. So I've become way too emotionally invest, invested in, right. the, in the whole yeah. thing. And that was the date I started my independent website blog you mentioned, uh, yeah. Darren, webdashboardideas.co.dk. And the reason for that, I knew from having been around auto enrollment, which took a long time, that it was going to be a long policy development. Mm. And I don't, don't know about you guys, but I can't remember everything. So I just thought for myself, I'll just have a repository of all the links you know to the different government announcements and then I can yeah. go back to them you know in one place I never thought that it would be nine years on so what it is now <laughs> it's a repository of over 500 links to announcements reports and commentary and research on dashboards well wow. over the last nine years yeah. and it's and it's still got a way to go and you said it was <laughs> world famous in a way it sort of is because I've as I say, it was for me, really, just an online place to link through to, you know, everything that had been said. I've had people come to me and said, oh, Richard, we found your block. It's really helpful as a place mm-hmm. to find out. Oh, what, you know, what did the PLSA say back in 2017? What did the ABI say about what did which say about it in 2020? So that's been really. Terrible. But then the Government Accountability Office in the U- U.S. got in touch and said, oh, we've. We're looking at doing dashboards in the U.S. Can we talk to you about this? So it's it's really grown, but as I said, it started from, from from humble beginnings. So really, what I've been doing since Heather died, I've been doing contracting on various different dashboards roles. Um, and you know, like the dashboard story is is linked. It relates to my personal story. It's about sort of keeping going and maintaining hope. You know, and trying to yeah. pull trying to pull hope from the jaws of of hopelessness not you know speaking really personally I think I would say that nine years nearly 10 years on you know it it's still raw you know and David Butcher was very open I think if you really love someone I think I don't think you get over it that's not my experience anyway I mean everyone's everyone's different and you know this is why um, I'm just so. So sad at the daily news now from the Middle East. You know, because right so last month in Israel and and this month in Gaza, even today, people are going to be widowed, they're going to lose children and parents. And I know from experience it's going to mess up the the rest of their lives, you know, because I know that's that's what I'm dealing with. I deal with it on a daily basis. But you know, that was in very calm, controlled conditions in Heather's End. This is horrendous, horrendous conditions. It is literally Overwhelmingly sad the news that we're hearing mm. puts everything in perspective. I think I think you've got children, haven't you, Darren? You've got yep. you've got two yep. two daughters, right? Two daughters, two daughters. and You haven't got, Hannah, Hannah yeah. you haven't got yeah. children, Nico. Is, that, is no, that right? No, I don't. No, so no, no. I would say, Darren, you know, if you can possibly avoid it, try not and let your spouse or partner die because it's it, it isn't it isn't great. But I think what I've become practising, and in that time since Heather died, is is trying to remain hopeful, you know, upbeat. Mm. So if you see me being enthusiastic about dashboards, it's actually, it's a it's a mechanism to try and feel hopeful, you know, without Heather, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so for my three now twenty somethings, I try and be hopeful for them, but you know, I get hope from them, and looking at their friends, they are amazing, yeah. you know, the, the the millennials, and that's where I think we can be hopeful about the future, mm. you know, to make the world better, but that that really is the gutting thing that Heather isn't getting to see mm. her three adult children blossoming yeah. into into wonderful yeah. Yeah. wonderful young uh, young children but so that's that's my story really that we went really brilliant I got incredibly lucky and we had some wonderful children still have but then it went wrong you know that's life it's a funny old mix all you can mm. do is try your best and keep going uh, for me is keeping going with dashboard so the thing things I've done on dashboards Darren as we already said you and I met on the prototype project 2017. I was Nest's representative, because it was a collaborative industry yep. thing, wasn't it? The prototype back in 2017. And then PASA, the Pinterest admin body, set up a working group at the same time in 2017. So I joined that, and I'm still on that working group, the PASA working group, seven years, six, seven years later. In 2019 and 20, I was really lucky. I did a contract on the dashboards program with Chris Curry. I think I've mentioned and, and um, led the team that developed the data standards. So that's yep. the content going through my hourglass, if you like. If you like, it's the sand in the hourglass, except you can't turn the hourglass upside down. So the analogy <laughs> doesn't, that doesn't work. But I realised well, doing that con- the data flows from the flows bottom up to the and top, then, uh, and then it drops down to the bottom, the data resides at the bottom. Yes, so as yeah. long as you don't invert the hourglass, the analogy works. <laughs> but I realized doing that, the industry was gonna need help. So for the last couple of years, I've been the PLSA's dashboards consultant since 2021. And there's been a lot to do for PLSA because there's been so much consultation. Yep. So I've been supporting Nigel Peoples policy team at the PLSA with responses to all the consultations on dashboards since, since the spring of 21 and then and helping explain dashboards you know to PLSA member funds and, and and others and then at the top of the hourglass uh since spring last year so for the last 18 months as I mentioned I've been advising money hub on a two day a week basis yeah. and that has opened my eyes you know as a consumer based uh, or consumer focused open banking fintech who sort of live or die by doing right by the consumer you know as yeah. an fca regulated consumer duty compliant entity um you know that's been really really humbling to get to because i'm not a ux a user experience user interface person i'm a pensions nerd but learning how you really test what consumers really understand it's yeah. been been eye-opening oh and um just on that i think there's been debate on this i think it was margaret snowden just recently um said whoa why I can't do the accent why didn't they make why didn't they make consumer duty apply to trust-based schemes oh, yeah. and Nico yeah. you always come back and say wow they've got a fiduciary duty but my challenge to that is and let's have a little bit of a tussle here right and see what you think about this you've been at trust-based schemes haven't you so nico you were at willis Towers watson life site yes well, is that I was at, right i was at barclays so barclays barclays um, right so and,
0: I, I like you i was in-house looking after the startup right uh yeah
2: and then you've you've been at uh, smart darren is that right I, and SMART, then pe- and, and people's people's pension, pension. Yeah. yeah yeah so i would my challenge do you are you aware you may not know were the trustees of those arrangements did they ever ask for their comms to be put in front of numerically vulnerable consumers and test the understandability of those comms. Yeah. If they did, I think they probably would have been in the minority of trustees. But under SCACD, consumer duty, that's what we've had to do. I'm not particularly here to plug Money Hub, but what we've done at Money Hub as a nascent Regulated dashboard. We have had to put our dashboard prototype in front of a whole range of consumers, including ones with numerical and a whole range of other vulnerabilities, to evidence the understandability. Because you need that in your evidence base to apply to the FCA to become a dashboard. Yeah. So for me, yeah. FCA regulated dashboards are a higher standard of understandability than any pensions com ever, and I'm very very excited by that.
0: And, yeah. So, and, uh, so for me, just the the, the critical question is. Um, did they set their own fees and have discretion as to what profits they took from the products? Um, and that is, you know, the fundamental conflict of interest which exists in business. I'm not saying people should take shouldn't have profit, um, but, but fundamentally, and I, and I would differentiate, and I know um, Julius was uh, was uh, very good on, uh, on on not allowing me to, but I would differentiate between the single employer trust trustee setup. Uh, yes. and to provide a provider trust, yeah. uh, trustee set up. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the pecuniary interest um, kind of conflict that is forbidden to trustees, I think is really important, um, and uh, they did, uh, you're right, without being forced, uh, kind of worry about whether their communications worked for their members. Um, hopefully, particularly at Barclays, they didn't have many numerically uh, challenged people, but they would have had some. Yeah. Um and um you know there there was testing. Um uh but yeah, no it, for me for me the the interesting bit of value for money and we might get to talk about that yeah. um yeah. The, <laughs> is the who sets the, the for money we you've only been sets, going an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who sets who sets the the you know, the outputs of that? Um and uh you know in a in a it, it, again it's a narrow framing, but in a kind of single employer trust. Uh, it's very difficult for the trustees to rip people up um, because they're not encouraging, uh, you know, people to pay the money to give them bigger profits. Um, so the whole setup is different. And there are we can haggle about whether trust law is appropriate in pensions That's yep. you know, it's built for a different purpose and it's been yep. mutated over a long period of time. Uh, we can haggle over whether the pensions regulator is an appropriate uh, regulator of divine contribution, yeah, because uh, it was very much built to be the the captain of a of a lifeboat or mm. you know, I don't know if that's the right exactly the <laughs> metaphor, uh, but it wasn't and has never really cared about defined contribution. It wasn't really set up to, um, but but those kind of duties and the kind of DNA again um, are quite different, I think, in trusts
1: generic and business generic uh so so my observation on this is yep. i think consumer duty should apply to the trust sector mm. yeah and and it's not to get into a debate between the rights and wrongs of fca regulation versus trust regulation stuff for me it's about the fca has set out very clearly what their expectations are yes yeah. and um and importantly have set out um that you need to be able to You know, you you should test and you need to evidence what you've done. Yeah. And I think it's a different level of prescription. Yeah. Yeah. That is the key thing between the two. And And for me, it's not consumer duty at a principled level versus trust and fiduciary duty at a principled level. It's just when it comes to implementation. And I think that's where, you know, applying some of the consumer duty stuff. To the trust-based sector and forcing these schemes to actually do this stuff and do this pro- properly would be a, a welcome innovation
0: yeah just can i can up. i just respond, sorry sorry richard so, so just I, again i would differentiate between single employer trust and master trust yeah, uh, yeah so yeah, no, i no, think yeah, take that you will find a huge proportion of the master trusts are already caught by consumer GT. um and all of those reports are already being filed and the role of the trustee is essentially an internal audit function with a kind of voice of the membership piece going on. So you, you can, by all means, force the trustees, who uh, are the people who have said that it's not the case, but have very limited power, right, to have a higher standard of demonstrating how limited their powers are. Um, but ultimately, you are just demonstrating the weakness of the kind of provider versus trustee model if you go and do that. Uh, and then in the single employer trust land, I mean, you know, the vast majority are DB plus DC, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, is it appropriate to hold them to the same standard? I just, at some stage, the government needs to put its money where its mouth is and say, consolidating the DC stuff into a, a, a whatever level of regulated entity we feel is, is better. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those, those poor trustees in the Sydney employer trusts, um, they just get all of this rubbish thrown at them um the intent to kind of ratchet them out of the defined contribution side um and you know no kind of actual policy which says you must consolidate because you are smaller than x hundred million like we have in other well, countries
1: well that's the that's the key thing for me it's a, the death by a thousand cuts yeah um rather than just being you know the regulator and dwp have, have, have said it yeah they want consolidation they don't want small schemes okay well force it then yeah. You know, do something yeah. about it, make a policy intervention that actually does that. Yeah,
2: just yeah. going on from your evidence point, uh, Darren, just at pace because I know your, the clock's ticking. So, <laughs> it's been so humbling putting up this money hub dashboard prototype in front of real consumers, you know. Yeah. You re- and I would say, and we've had some uh, prospects and clients come and witness that that research, and it was similar to when we did the prototype testing back in the summer of 2017. Yeah, you realize how far behind our industry has left the vast majority of the population. You know, Mm -hmm. no clue as to what they've got. You know, or what DB and DC mean, you know, so we've got such a, a, a long way to go. I feel utterly humbled as a pensions professional of 35 years that we've left the majority of the population in this state, and that for me is a major, major motivator. And I'm really encouraged, again I'm here as an independent, I'm not here particularly to promote anybody, it, that doesn't surprise me that our biggest retirement and pensions provider Phoenix Group through their go to market brand standard life and said we want to do a dashboard Mm -hmm. but we don't want to build our own we want to white label money hubs and Mm -hmm. and expect others to announce as we go through through 24 to say we've realized we don't just want to show people just one pension we have to show them their whole career so they can understand if they need to top top that up just to conclude on the what have you done in dashboards the the, the final thing um, up today, just last month, I've just published on my blog the research I did because um, I, I thought, well, government has talked to the other countries about what they've done, but they haven't really gone and had a look.
1: Uh, yes, I, I'm going to stop, like, so. My segue yes. was going to be, right. was your European tour value yes. for money? I was going to squeeze <laughs> value
2: for money in it. Go, Richard, well, go, carry if on. If it helps, if it helps get dashboards done, then absolutely, because it's going to help millions and millions of UK uh, consumers. But I self-funded it. I didn't do it um, uh, uh, sponsored by an organization because, you know, sometimes an organization says, well, what answer are you looking for, you know, on research? So I thought if I do it myself, I can just literally play out facts. Um, I've got one. One final show and tell my kids, my wonderful kids, made me a map. I'm showing Darren and Nico for the (laughs) listeners. A map is a map of Northern Europe. Because I've given up flying in 2018 and given up driving in 2021, um, it was all rail and ferry. So I got the Eurostar to Brussels, met the Belgium dashboard team, the train up to Germany and then Copenhagen to the Danish dashboard team, across the bridges of the Orison Sound across to Stockholm and met the Swedish dashboard team. And then the reason for the trip as a whole was my daughter said, oh, I'm going to do a marathon in the um, Arctic Circle. So I got the sleeper train all the way up Sweden across into Norway and watched her run the Midnight Sun Marathon. They do it at night because the sun doesn't set, which was great. It's the longest weekend in June. Then the bus and sleeper train all the way down Norway to Oslo met the uh, Norwegian team and then a ferry across back to Germany and and Netherlands and to the Hague to the Dutch team. So meeting five teams to see what they have done, because they're all more than a decade old. they've been running. The the Danish one's been running 25 years. So. um, and, And what it was to do was just to garner some facts, some screenshots, I would have to say they were all falling over themselves to help. They said, Richard, here, have us some more screenshots, have a video of our example, have some more spreadsheets of usage. I've got on one of them, I've got like which pages get used by which types of user for how many seconds at what time of the day. It's like, oh my gosh, so I've taken the whole summer to curate all this content to try and manage it down, if, if that makes sense. But I was wondering, you know, when you invited me on this, oh, how, know how can I get that over because there's a lot there so it's a whole chocolate box of findings so if if value is about you know quantity and of insights then yes what I've done I've put it all in the public domain on my website block dashboard ideas.co.uk so it's, it's all there split by country but I've drawn out some general themes and um one thing I did do I teased some snippet insights on LinkedIn, and then I've gone and looked at the number of views to see, well, what's of most interest? Do you see what I mean? So, I can, do you know what I mean? So, by the view number, so that altogether they've had 15,000 views, but the, the one that's had most, most views, well, the two are that people really want dashboards. So, in all the countries I visited, okay just shy of 40 percent of working age adults so four in ten working adults adults use the dashboards at least once a year so that's across all that's across all age bands now um some organizations have got quite a high level of digital interaction in this country you know if they're they're really like a highly um digitally um uh, oriented organization but generally i think pension providers have sort of you know, 10 to 20% of their members and customers come on and use their apps and portals. So to get that up to 40% is is huge. But of course, that varies by age band. Here's a rule of thumb for you. It's 40% across the whole of the working age population, but amazingly, consistently, every country, it's about 20% of 20-somethings, 30% of 30-somethings, 40% of 40-somethings, but 60% of people in their 50s and 60s. So six in 10 Swedes, in their 50s are coming onto the Swedish dashboard at least once a year. And of course, many are coming on many, many times a year. So people want dashboards. I think we knew that anyway, but this is the hard evidence. And then the other thing is they want commercial dashboards. The thing, the stat, I said, we're going to blow your mind, Darren. In Norway, they set up a central service in 08. And when that was bedded in uh, seven years later in 2015, they opened up the same data find service. The middle of my hourglass, remember that? They opened it up through APIs, application programming interfaces to commercial apps like banking apps and pension apps those apps are used to find pensions 30 times more wow. than the original government service
0: Yeah,
2: well, yeah to yeah. me this validates the uk's multi-dashboard policy mm-hmm. It's because people want to trip over their pensions on apps they already use if that makes sense mm-hmm. another couple of other snippets everyone's not the same um we've already talked about you know most people don't understand much about pensions the swedes did a, a wonderful segmentation of the swedish population um and it turns out that most people don't wanna spend a lot of time thinking about their pensions. So on, on a couple of the countries, I've got stats on the on the, on the website blog of which pages get used most. And, and the main overview page gets used most, like millions of times a year, but the next most used page is like sub, sub one million. So most people are just coming onto the main page. Mm-hmm. And guess what, in every country, Here it comes to should we use the word pension? The main single data point they put on the main homepage is the total monthly income you might get in retirement. So most people don't want to think more than that. They just want to say, am I on course for an income that I could live on in, in retirement? Yeah. They do it slightly different. In in Denmark and Norway, they show a total annual income, and it's gross. And in and the Netherlands, it's a total monthly income, and it's net of tax. People yeah. really do want it net of tax because they need to know what their actual spending money would be. Mm-hmm. Two other final stories. One, Anders Lundstrom is the chief executive of the Swedish dashboard. He's probably global pensions' god. I've got to be careful now because the other ones will say, "Well, what about us?"
1: <laughs> but I said,
2: "Anders, you've got a really fantastic dashboard. It's been going twenty years. You know, you've 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 really improved it over the years." But what do people want next and this excited me he said richard they want to see esg info about ah, their pensions right perfect. and but he said i know it's hard we're doing a study because we know from user testing they're only going to spend two to three minutes looking at it right and we know there's different conceptions of esg and particularly around sustainability And i know you've done a lot of work in this nico haven't you yes. but i was so excited that, right, once I can see what I've got, now give me some sort of sense of the good or bad of these different pensions. And that for me is one of the major motivators of Dashboard. But let's get Dashboards up and running and then let's link with Richard Curtis and make my money matter and give people some way of understanding which which of their pensions are doing, you know, are the least worst in terms of damage. Final, final lesson in terms of what got most interest on LinkedIn uh, is, um, launch something launch a version one and then iterate based on live live usage feedback so i was sitting next to michael rash in copenhagen and he was saying oh richard we're launching version seven uh this this autumn i said michael you've been doing this 20 years he said yes but it always gets better we're doing a new timeline that shows inflation or shows the impact of inflation over time but he said we were agreeing it's an it's a physical impossibility to launch version seven you only get there by launching version one (laughs) And then iterating through two to three to four. So the key message that I would say is let's get something launched. It will disappoint the people who want a deep and functional service. Do you know what I mean? You know, I said that most people just want to look at total monthly income. That's not everybody. Some people at Money Hub, we have a little joke. We call him Bob. He's typically older and white and male, and he's fairly affluent and he understands pensions. And in Sweden, Bob was disappointed on day one because the Swedish dashboard didn't do everything. He didn't do all the sophisticated modeling he wanted on day one, but it did help the 90 percent. Well, I'll say that number. Every country unprompted offered me the concept of Bob. They all said, Richard, you've got to be aware you've got different sorts of users. Yeah. You've got the vast majority who are inert and just want to see what they might get. And then you've got the more engaged users. And I said, how prevalent is Bob? We had a little joke about it. And they all said sub sub 10 percent, obviously not 10 percent in terms of assets. Bob's got all the assets, you know, so. (laughs) So the biggest pensions are are Bob's, if that makes sense. But for me, I think why government is doing dashboards is for the 90 percent who don't know what pensions they've Mm. got and have no clue about in total whether they're going to be enough to live on. Um, there's a slight tension here with commercial dashboards, because, of course, commercial dashboards are interested in Bob because they want Bob to consolidate his larger pensions, if you see what I mean. Um, so that's a really interesting, certain so, point to bring out. So, so I get that in
1: terms of delivery. And we, we often talk about minimum viable products or minimum marketable yes. products and, and that. The, the, the thing that concerns me on this is I've yep. been involved in organisations where you get an MVP out and that's it yeah it's like job done, you know yeah. um yes, we've got all this stuff that we want to do, but we're now moved on to the the next thing um yeah. because resources are constrained is is there a is there a risk that that happens with with the dashboard? do you think we'll get it over the line and then everyone just thinks, oh, yes, we've done the dashboard um and then you know version two, version four Free version seven doesn't actually come online.
2: I think you may have answered your own question, Darren. You fall into trap there again of talking about the dashboard. Okay, so what the great thing in my mind here is we've got multiple commercial dashboards on banking apps and pension apps that we know from Norway people want to use. Okay, those are the ones who are going to drive the innovation. Yep. And what people say to me, well, what have we got special in in, in UK? Richard? What we've got is a, a, a world leading open banking and open finance world. So when you link current accounts and other. So when you see your total pension, it's not enough. Well, so what else have I got? And you can see that link through open banking. So I think what we will see is the iteration in the commercial dashboard space.
1: Um, and what about the infrastructure? Yes. Do you think there will be iterations in the infrastructure as well? Or do you think that it would be quite static and the data standards would be quite static once this thing is launched?
2: I would differentiate that between the two things you said. I think the hourglass, once mm. it's up and running, is the glass, but the sand, OK, the content, the <laughs> data set. So when we did the data standards, the, the anti-gravity
1: it, sand, yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah.
2: anti-gravity sound. <laughs> when we did the data standards, it has to be a shallow data standard because you have to have a pension data standard that fits for The civil service pension scheme, a local government pension scheme, a DB deferred and active, you know, a master trust, a personal pension, a SIP, a bought-out pension, you know, that's not yet in payment. So to get a data standard that worked across the whole universe was really hard. So therefore it's necessarily shallow. And we took a lot of stick at this on the program and say, well, no, Richard, you must do charges in in iteration one. And we said, Well, have we got the evidence that people are going to look at charges? I don't think so. So, so version one data standards are quite shallow. Then, based on live experience and usage, we then deepen the data set, but that can continue to flow through the existing infrastructure, which is right. the glass of the hourglass. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. 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 And that yeah. has been the experience in the continental countries, is the, the data set has become more sophisticated uh, uh, yeah. sophisticated over time. Yeah. yeah. So just yeah,
0: on so, the, there's a little throwaway comment, you, you said that people um, may not be that interested in challenges charges. Yeah. So I'm going to try and segue back to the topic of this podcast. Let's do it. Um, You know, do you think people are interested in value for money?
2: So, what is value for money? I didn't know what to say on this. I didn't know I said I said in a little <laughs> preamble that I had a surprise yeah. for you. What I did think is um not another one. We've got the t-shirt. Yeah. You've got, got the t-shirt. That's,
1: that's brilliant. I'm so yeah. with that. thank yeah. you so much, Richard. What,
2: what I did, because I know you're actually, aren't you, Nick? I made yeah. a spreadsheet. I listened back oh. to 39 episodes and I made a spreadsheet. And you know what you used to do, I and then I'd I got, listen on a Friday. I, got, I, got, I listen I on a Friday and then <laughs> I've listened back to where you asked the VFM question. You you yeah. used to ask it at the nineteen minute mark, right? Now you ask it at like the forty six minute mark. Well, so I've had to, I've hour. been moving the slider along to find out where you asked the question. So what I did, I tried to categorize them. So I'm going completely against what Amor Rajan said. Like I'm now trying to boil down a complex story into like a, a headline. I made a pie chart, right? And it didn't help right so six of your get six five of your guests 13 percent said it's all about the growth pot growth which is in you know net net performance so gross gross performance uh net of net of charges so yes that's important to some but then another six said well yes it's that but it's also income you know and like you just said let's get better at pensions nico it's also about let's get the right shape of income through retirement that people want and then another seven another 18 percent said well, it's those, but we've got to think about the members as well and the member experience in in that context. And Five really focused on that. Five said it's all about how the member feels. But then Six went on from there and said, Therefore, it's subjective. So to come to your question, to, you know, to people. So and then three went further and saying one particular avenue of, of subjectivity is, is planet. So I think obviously when you have Mike yeah. Berners-Lee on, it's, we, you know, the only issue is planet, which mm. I think is true as well. And then Seven said it's just too hard. And I think even in your pilot, you said it's just too. Hard. I love I love there's a, a phrase. I think it was Alistair Byrne said it's intangible, uncertain, nebulous and subjective. Yeah. So. <laughs> So anyway, but then the thing, the thing I did like is, so we're talking price and quality, like what do I pay and what do I get? So, you know, a number of your guests, so, so, Rona Train didn't value her rugby tickets because she didn't pay for them, but she did value the flight and the accommodation because she did. Then Louise <laughs> davey from the regulator had realized that paying for cheap running shoes is a false economy. Yep. And then um, who was it back in um March? Oh, Mark Austin. Remember his son's Chanel belt mm, that was yeah, ridiculously yeah. expensive? Yep. So the price thing was a bit confusing. And then on the benefits, you had David Butcher saying he was quite clear that he wanted an ice maker on his fridge freezer, and then the two robs rob cochran wanted his uh, his north face sack with all the pockets and then yeah. and then um uh rob um holford. rob holford had his german car that never broke down so i got confused <laughs> on the benefits side all these personal buying decisions for me make the miss a point which is In workplace pensions, forget retail, let's not go down that rabbit hole. In workplace pensions, the work has no agency over the buying decision. So the analogy for me, when I used to talk about auto-enrolment back at PwC in 2012, I used to make the analogy with schools. So the parent on behalf of the third party, the child chooses a school, right? now and they do that by law ever since the 1870 education act we've had compulsory education and that was because we needed an educated workforce to compete with global competitors now 140 years later we need to move on to the third stage of life which is retirement so now the employer has a legal duty on behalf of a third party the worker to choose a pension provider you can't go too far with the analogy because obviously workers can opt out of auto enrollment Kids can't opt out of school, and I suppose unless they pay through it. But, well, you, yeah, you can bunk off, yeah. can't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then that what bad. I got <laughs> thinking is, how does a parent get? How does a parent know that this is a good school? Mm. And I thought, well, initially it's the Ofsted report, isn't it? And then as as the kid goes through or the children go through, it's the school report. I suppose the school report is the dashboard, isn't it? The school report is the, the totality of your education to date, if that makes sense, which is like the individual dashboard. But it got me thinking, you know, do I trust pension providers to mark their own homework? No, do we not need an independent body to come in and cast a slide rule across all those perspectives that all your guests articulated? You know, growth, income, member perspective, all the subjectivity. Pass that slide rule across all pension providers. I've no idea whether that's doable, but that's where I got to in my thinking. And then as Zoe said, back in February, of course, if we'd done this 10 years already, 10 years ago, we'd have already had a dashboard with some sort of VFM metric. I think people do want this. When we've shown a list of pensions at MoneyHub in our testing, people instinctively say, oh, I've got three pensions there, which one's the best? Mm. Right. You know, which right. one's good, which one's less good. And then you could take a sustainability angle on that as well. So I think we will find user demand for some sort of ranking in a version two or three dashboard once we've got them up and running. But we have to get version one up and running to understand how people feel and what they do to answer that question. Do they care about value? Long answer. Perfect. Perfect. That, um, I, don't think we, I don't
1: I don't I do think any, any guest has ever prepared so well. No.
0: Um, and I don't think we've ever had a meta answer on
1: that either. (laughs) That's amazing.
2: I thought as a tribute to the thought I mean what I should have said, of course, value for money. Is this podcast i think what you guys have done you've obviously the <laughs> price is price is good it's free yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you've you've created a canon of 40 hours of really good intellectual debate you know that just evidence is how challenging the whole topic is so it's 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 really good i'd worry a little bit that we're talking to ourselves you know as a pension industry um and i think we need to listen to consumers a bit more that's yeah. that's what that will be my uh, my advice
0: well watch this space we shall see shouldn't we darren we should start. so, to we're starting to plot out next year um and yeah i won't I, i'm not gonna it's, i can't even say it's spoilers but there have been suggestions made, haven't there,
1: Sug- suggestions rather than spoilers
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're working we're working
1: on it we are gonna have to call time i think um richard that was absolutely fantastic mm. so um a, a, amazing like right? amazing experience amazing story um you know i think that the dashboard is a huge project and yeah. i think that you know if it does dashboards get line, dashboards, dashboards 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 uh, um the dashboards are a huge project yeah. yeah and i think that when they do get over the line then you would have played a very significant mm-hmm. role informing in the evidence base and actually, you know, contributing to, you know, the retirement outcomes of millions of people. So, yeah. you know, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience.
2: It's not about me, but just a quick plug is that one of my hats is is this Paza working group I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, so right now, the big challenge at the bottom of the hourglass is connecting pension schemes and, yep. and, and providers to make their data digitally searchable. And PASA has a whole suite of guidance coming for trustees and pension schemes and pension providers. That's coming very, very soon. So yep. all listeners, please do take a look out for that. That's going to be really helpful for, for schemes to make their data yeah. available.
1: Okay. Yeah, and PASA do a lot of good work in this space and across yep. the piece on, on administration stuff. So um, great you are involved in that. Mm. So. Um, Right. We need to draw this to a close. This, we are now we're way beyond the officially the longest podcast. But we your average,
2: your average is 61 minutes, 46 <laughs> is it? seconds. Is it? I did, you could do this on a spreadsheet.
1: <laughs> we could. We, well, you're going to have to send us the raw data. You know? cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe uh, you can put the pie chart on LinkedIn as well. Um, <laughs> I, there's a I few, love there's, that
0: another t-shirt that's sort
2: what... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right
1: um, nico <laughs> yeah
0: richard that's been absolutely fantastic thank you so much for thank you for, for the invite sharing all of that and uh printing out some some t-shirts we'll be darren you and i are going to have to wear them um, yeah, together we and we'll get we'll get some sort of uh some sort of photo and evidence back to you yeah and that's been brilliant thank you um Right. Well we look we, we we ought to rush to the end. Next week yeah. we've got Tim Gosling uh um, uh very much looking forward to speaking to him. Loads of other guests coming up. Um thanks as ever to DG Publishing. We're not in the pub this week, but we would have been. We would have been um except for Storm Kieran um and train delays. Um so yeah, until next time, it's
1: goodbye for me. It's goodbye for me and a big and thank goodbye you. Goodbye for it. me. Thanks, guys. Bye everyone. Cheers.